Have you ever seen the show Severance? Uh, no, but I've been hearing lots of good things about it. That's the one that's got a Culkin in it, right? No, that's Succession. Succession. Damn it. Never mind. Also very good. Uh, Josh, I think we learned last time that uh, no fumbling through people's names. Agreed. Always dangerous. Uh. <laughs> get together, have a few laughs. Hello and welcome to Where There's a Willis, There's a Way, a film podcast about the multitude of works by Bruce Willis. I'm sick and my name is Josh Carter. And I'm recovering and my name's Kendrick Martin. Today, on this episode, here now, we will be covering Sin City, directed by Frank Miller and Robert Rodriguez, with special guest director Quentin Tarantino. Side note, did you know he was just in Portland the other day, yesterday? Oh, the, QT. Yeah, he was given a presentation slash talk at the Hollywood. Yeah, the, I thought that I saw the, a friend of the show, um, Ethan, talk about that. On oh, his, yes. Uh, on his Twitter. Yes, on his Twitter. Um, he was also apparently spotted at the Sandy Hut classic classic uh, dive bar down the street from Hollywood Theater. Uh, anyway, nice. nice. This um, movie, Sin City, is based on the graphic novel by Frank Miller. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, what we do here is an in-depth breakdown of a movie starring Bruce Willis, both from a film perspective and his individual contribution. We then add the movie to our ranking. We talk trivia and spin the wheel of Willis. You can find all of our previous episodes at williswaypod.com. You can also find other podcasts of like-minded hosts or like-minded movies. Like-minded movies? Yeah, movies have minds, right? Yeah, they have a lot of landmines. Ah, correct, correct. You can find these other podcasts in the Last of the Action Heroes podcast network over at lastoftheactionheroes.com. Thank you to everyone who supports this podcast. If you want to support this podcast, you can head over to anchor.fm forward slash Willis dash way. Your support goes a long way to help us produce this podcast. And if you want to support this podcast for free, you can go and rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends and your friends' friends, since everybody needs a little bit of a Bruce Willis in their life. People, people, when I talk to, you know, and I introduce myself, and I'm like, hi, I'm Kendrick Martin. You might know me from the Bruce Willis podcast, Whether it's Willis Starts Away. <laughs> they are always shocked. That's how I introduce myself. And then mm-hmm. B, that... um that there's like such a missing hole in their life about Bruce Willis. And I'm like, yeah, you don't even understand. You think, you know, Bruce Willis. And then you open up his biography and you flip to the first page and you're just like, Whoa, I don't know Bruce Willis. Mm -mm. Um, Mm -mm. Yeah. So listener, that's what we're here to do is to read you this biography. Oh yeah. I mean, for one, everyone that talks about Bruce Willis, they're like, oh, yeah, bald Bruce Willis. And it's like, we're, we haven't even scratched the surface of that cue ball yet. Mm-mm. He's a 
He's still got his uh, little whiskers up there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Before we dive deep into the sins of Sin City, we want to give you an idea right now uh, if we think this movie is worth watching and if uh, we think you should go out and watch it. Now, we've created a perfect system. It's uh, needs has no notes. It's It's impossible to improve upon. This system is we simply rate a movie, a Bruce Willis out of a Bruce Willis. The more it gets, the better it is. Which I guess is true for most ratings, but especially true for this one. So it's not true for golf. Famously not true for golf. Well, that I didn't say score. I just said rating. Mm, oh, fair, fair. If you rate a movie over a Bruce, we think it's worth watching. If we if a movie is under a Bruce, we think it's probably worth skipping. So Joshua, mm-hmm. Sin City. This is probably one of his most well-known movies, uh, especially from this decade that oh, yeah. we're in, the early 2000s. What would you rate this movie? So just so I'm clear, is Bruce Space a recommendation to seek out this movie or not? Uh, <clears throat> I would say yes. Yes. It is a recommendation to seek out this Bruce, movie. Because a Bruce No Space, not a recommendation. But that's like the highest... Not recommended. But then there's uh, way more. There's way more well, characters for uh, recommending than there is for not recommending. Because Bruce Willis, if we count the space as a character, is exactly twelve characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm saying you can have like a movie that's just barely worth watching, and then you could have a movie that's like uh, The Fifth Element that everyone should watch multiple times a year. <laughs> and you need that. You need that range in the world. Every, every fifth of the month, right? You watch the uh-huh. fifth element. Yeah. That's your... <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Then I'm going to give this movie a full Bruce for Bruce. No space. No space. Um, okay. Because I found, I found stuff that I enjoyed about this movie. Um, but I don't necessarily think that it's worth seeking out necessarily. And we'll get into some of the why. It, it later but yeah i was i was expecting a little bit more i think from the movie than what i got uh i'm gonna say bruce w which i was looking back through my notes and we are reverse of our last episode the hostage mm. i was a bruce and you were a bruce w um interesting <laughs> and the and the reason i give it a bruce w is it is exactly what it says on the tin if you look at any of the product marketing for this movie it completely fulfills what you would expect of it it does that make it a perfect movie or good or even a good movie no but i think if you look at this and you're like wow this looks like a movie for me it will be a movie for you it succeeds at the goal it set out to hit all right all right i think when i'm thinking of uh, recommending a movie i'm thinking of just for the layman but you've already added the caveat of if you are interested in the movie, then you should watch it. So I'm uh, I'm questioning my ranking at this point. Mm. But I'll stick to my guns because it'll be more interesting if I'm defending a position that I don't even know well, if I entirely well, hold throughout. <laughs> I guess where I'm, where I'm coming from is you, I can, there are almost no blanket recommendations that I have for people. Yeah. Like I need a little bit of your personality to recommend you something. Mm. Now, there are some. Paddington 2, everyone should watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Even the fifth element, 
perfect perfect Bruce Willis movie. And it's not for everybody, and that's yeah. okay. And yeah. if I learn if I learn something about you, and you're like, I only watch documentaries or movies with Agatha Christie in them, I'll be like, well, I don't can't help you. <laughs> I don't even know if Agatha Christie was ever in a movie, but. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good it's a good point. It's a good point. Uh, all that to say, um yep. I've said it all. Yep. Like we said, perfect rating system, no notes. Perfect rating system, impossible to improve upon. <laughs> but the rest of this podcast definitely can be improved upon. And if you're listening and you have some improvements, aka corrections, you can email us, williswaypod at gmail.com. We're also on What's left of Twitter <laughs> at WillisWayPod and Instagram and TikTok. Um, I also wanted to say we often do separate bonus episodes on the same podcast feed. They come out in between our regular Bruce Willis episodes. So if you're looking to listen to Josh and I discuss other topics, you can check those episodes out. Our next one, we are definitely going to be talking about what's going on at Twitter because, uh, I had a note to talk about Elon Musk and Twitter like four or five months ago, and we just never managed to make the time for it. And then it kind of disappeared from the news, and I was like, maybe we shouldn't talk about it. And then it's back in the news, and I definitely want to talk about it. Boy and howdy. But I mean, by the time we release it, who knows? Like, yeah, true. Twitter might be already in the textbooks of history. So <laughs> there might not be a Twitter anymore. But I, yeah. <laughs> uh, I am curious. I have, do have some questions and like curious about where your feelings are about that in general. So, Listener, tune into our bonus episodes. We also have a Facebook page for the Last of the Action Heroes Network, and that's pretty active over there. And then we also have a Discord, which you can find our link in the, what do you call it, show notes. The show notes. The show notes. Before we jump over into the Sin City, before we take the train into Sin City, choo-choo, we're going to take a quick break. Hey, this is Robert Rodriguez, and what you're about to see is a live performance by Bruce Willis and the Accelerators, shot during the production of Sin City. One of the things I told Bruce early on was how much fun it would be to shoot in Austin. I would shoot him out in 10 days, but not only that, we would put on a rock show for charity there at Antones, a classic Antones on 5th Street, and be able to shoot it in HD because I could just take the whole crew over at the end of the shooting day, and uh, we could put on a show. But of course, be back at work again the next morning. So the cast, the crew, um, cast and crew from another movie, Richard Linklater was shooting uh, his movie Scanner Darkly at the same time. So they came over as well, and it was a packed house. And the energy on the set all day was really high because we're doing the scenes of Bruce hanging by the neck. And I think the last thing we shot before we had to run off and jump on stage was uh, Bruce in the shower. Del Castillo opened, then my band, Chingon, played. And then Bruce Willis headlined, and uh, I jumped on one of the cameras, and we shot this. And it came out so good, I wanted to include it on this DVD. So here's Bruce Willis and the Accelerators performing this really great song called Devil Woman. Dream the other night. Had no plan. 
now we're going to get into Sin City. That audio was from the trailer of Sin City. I'm going to go ahead and read the description from IMDb. An exploration of dark and miserable Basin City and three of its residents, all of whom are caught up in violent corruption. And that's the entirety of the description. Doesn't even feel like it's a... Maybe it is a sentence. I guess it is a sentence. Barely feels like a <laughs> sentence. <laughs> and you can find this movie on HBO Max and Video On Demand. Wait, is it? I don't know. Get out your diagram. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's barely a sentence. But yeah, anyways, on HBO Max and Video On Demand. So Kendrick and I, when we were talking about this movie, we kind of wanted to talk about like the general stuff first and then dive into the different storylines of which there are i believe four um there's a there's two two parters yes so yeah there's there's there's, uh the one with um josh hartnett right is that who it is yeah so on wikipedia it's labeled the customers always write part one the yellow bastard part one the hard goodbye big fat kill that yellow bastard part two and the customer's always right part two okay okay yeah yeah so i think what we should do is talk about overall thoughts and then we can dive into each of the storylines um kind of chronologically yeah yeah that sounds great and so before we start this is a well to get started i guess this is the first time you saw it correct Mm mm-hmm yeah, I'd seen I'd seen some of it before. I had a one of my roommates and friends of the show, Austin, was watching it. Um, my roommate at the time was watching it, and uh, so I watched quite a bit of it with him. Of 
some of the movie. And then I think I was walking through the house when he was watching it. So I caught bits and pieces of later on. Uh, but my first time watching all the way through was this time. <clears throat> nice. Yeah. <clears throat> and this is going to be a scratchy, scratchy throat, scratchy throat episode. Itchy and scratchy. I had seen it when it first came out back in 2005 and didn't remember very much about it except the uh, final part with Bruce Willis and Jessica Alba. That was the only part I remembered. And I saw it I, as I was watching it. I was like, oh, yes, I remember this part. Mm. Um, but other than that, I, I didn't remember much anything about it. Hmm. And I don't I have not read the graphic novel. I assume yes, you have it either. But yeah, what were your kind of overall feelings? It's it's a. Uh, an intense trip through Basin City. It is. It is. I think also we probably should let everybody know if you haven't seen the movie yet, it is a movie that takes a lot of inspiration from the graphic novel in terms of the, which I also haven't read, um, but visually it takes a lot of the stylistic choices of the graphic novel and then translates it for a visual medium such as TV or movies. And the way that they achieved a lot of the the look of the movie is through the use of black and white and then extensive use of green screen effects in order to get all the background to do what they wanted it to do. So it has these uh, live action people with like costumes and props and stuff kind of interacting with each other. And then every once in a while with like one or two objects in the room, but everything else is going to be background and green screened. So it kind of has like a weird comic-y sort of feel when you're watching it. And I think that it's kind of impossible to talk about like the movie generally without mentioning that up at the front. And that is going to work for some people. And that's not going to work for other people. For me, I grew up on Spy Kids and the uh, um, Shark Boy and Lava Girl, other Robert Rodriguez movies where he used these sorts of techniques and the Star Wars prequels and all sorts of stuff like that, where green screen was starting to become a big thing and um, certain directors were trying to pioneer that effect and everything. And I think that it works pretty well for the, the movie. I'm not, I wasn't taken out of it for the most part. There's a few points where I was kind of wishing that they had gone with a, a different, a different um, kind of movie making style, but for the most part, it worked for me. I agree that it is very akin to the other Rodriguez work with uh, stylistically. I liked the black and white portions. I thought that looked really good. I, the movie introduces strategic color um, often. Mm -hmm. And I think that usually ended up looking pretty bad. The, overall, mm -hmm. I think this movie looked pretty dated. I think for yeah. its time in 2005, it was, um, you know, cutting edge. It looked probably looked great. I think it's hard. Also, hard, I don't know what quality HBO Max was streaming it as, but watching it on my, you know, me decently sized OLED TV, um, I thought it looked pretty bad quite often. Um, yeah. the, the parts that were all in black and white, um, I thought looked good. And I, it also does a lot of, um, I'm not sure even how to describe it, where it just basically paints. It makes it look cell shaded where mm -hmm. it will take a, a a feature of someone, maybe their eyes or like a piece of clothing and just paint that as one color. I think at one point Bruce Willis has like wearing a tie and that tie just becomes like white and it looks like it's out of a, on a comic book page. I think all that stuff looks good. Anytime that you do black and white, 
but yeah. it's the, the color. And then sometimes the movie will shift into full color. I think near the end, there's like a scene where they go into a bar and it is in full color. Um, all that stuff that deals with color uh, just always looks bad to me. I thought it was like jarring and um, I think it was overused. I think they do. It's very common in like semi-modern black and white movies to have a single piece of color maybe throughout the movie. You know, Schindler's List had the girl with the red dress, I think. Um, other movies maybe will just pick like a single item. But this movie just constantly had that and it was distracting. Mm-hmm. And then um, like the blood, I think, was often colored red. And so that it just felt like a black and white movie, but with a lot of color, it just ended up being more distracting than anything else. Yeah. Um, yeah. I... I'm assuming again, not having read the comic, I'm assuming that the comic is probably similar where it's black and white. And then there'll be a, a person who's maybe all in color or something like that. So it makes sense to, to, to choose that route. I just think it, it looked bad now. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the, the character designs I think are kind of specifically colored like that. Like I'm pretty sure that that yellow bastard is pretty much exactly the same on the comic as he is in the movie. And, same mm-hmm. thing with the character that Michael Clark Duncan plays with like the yellow eye thing. I think that mm-hmm. that's also directly from the graphic novel. But yeah, if I was like a really big fan of this movie, I probably would have tried to pick up a novel or two, just to, like peruse and kind of catch a visual style of it. But I don't know. I've I've seen enough stills of the the movie contrasted against the the comic to where I'm like, I I get what you're going for, but yeah, like what you were saying, there were often times that it it did look bad. I forgot about all the color popping for whatever weird reason, but yeah, yep. there's there's a lot of it in almost every scene. And like some of them look okay. Like there's one part where like the police, whenever they show up, you have like black and white characters, and then you get like flashes of blue and red. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense because you would want to signal that the police are there. And that's a really easy way to do that because they have a very distinct color scheme and stuff like that. But yeah, for other parts of the movie, it was just like, okay, enough with the coloring. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's even some parts where like the lightning in the background mm-hmm. is in color, or they do stuff like that, and I just thought that looked not great, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of unfortunate. Um, we should also talk about this movie is definitely in the grindhouse genre. Again, oh, yeah. if you know, if you're listening and you know nothing about this movie, um, this this movie is pays homage to a lot of the drive-in grindhouse movies um the movie grindhouse i think comes out not long after this yeah i think in 2007 so i think quentin tarantino and robert rodriguez were just kind of doing a lot of that kind of style paying homage to the grindhouse so it is like hyper violent hyper sexual hyper uh explicit um and this is kind of what i was saying about like when we were talking about recommending this movie, this movie is a hard sell to people because uh, I think as like a most like those movies were popular in the seventies when you could go to the, the drive-in and see them. And then Quentin Tarantino really likes them. And so he would often kind of play them up in his work. And then Robert Rodriguez would also probably um, work together. And I think like the whole Machete series and all the, all the stuff that they've kind of, worked on back and forth. Um, but other than that, like we don't have a lot of these movies that come out nowadays. Mm-hmm. And so as a style, um, it's pretty rare to come across. And there's like obviously indie, indie movies that have filled that niche. But for the most part, people just aren't really watching this nowadays. Um, 
I would say that the Suicide Squad has some of the styling of kind of. But a, even that is still toned down for like a more oh, yeah. more mass consumption. Yeah, it's really or, really palatable to mm-hmm. the general audience. But yeah, and with I think some of the I think, flair. <clears throat> we're talking about the Suicide Squad, right? Or whatever one came the out Suicide last year. Squad, yeah, James Guns. James yeah. Guns. I think it. Oh, we've also moved into an era where where you can um have like a self-examination so like a movie can be a grindhouse movie while also talking having a conversation about the exploitation genre and the grindhouse genre mm-hmm. and sort of like it's itself um i don't think in 2005 sin city was at a place to do that Mm-mm. i don't think tbh like quentin tarantino and i don't know that much about robert rodriguez but i don't think quentin tarantino is really capable of that like self-examination that would be yeah. required for something yeah. like that i think he's too infatuated with the genre itself and too stylistically committed to that to really dive in yeah i mean it's definitely possible i think um if you look at like a lot of his later work i think it's definitely a little more capable of of having a conversation and like making you think about the hyper violence specifically mm-hmm. Tarantino's movies are all pretty hyper violent um but definitely not mid 2000s era and oh, so yeah. all that to say um <clears throat> if you know uh like this style of movie probably is not my favorite style of movie and i would not probably seek this out if we weren't going to talk about it but if people are out there and they're like oh I, you know i want to watch like a grindhouse style movie or some like big bombastic movie um i think this is a good one to pick yeah i think like the storytelling is interesting and the cast is really great and all the different stories are fun. Um, it's just super intense. Yeah. Yeah. I think I wrote. Yeah. In my notes, I've, I only wrote, I think like four or five sentences in total, but of those four or five, maybe a little bit more than that, maybe nine sentences. One of them I wrote was the exploitative nature of this movie is rough. And then another one was Jesus Christ, this movie. <laughs> so just, Go in knowing that it is kind of intense. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's definitely like there's a lot of problematic parts where even beyond the exploitative nature, it's just like yeesh. Yeah. Um, a combination of being 17 years old and also probably wanting to get a rise out of people and offend people. Um, yeah, it's got a little bit of like an edgelord streak running through it that mm-hmm. I don't know. It's edgelordiness wasn't super cool in 2005 but i feel like it's even more just egregious now because there's fewer people that are willing to defend it so he just ends up looking kind of silly yeah yeah uh yeah and um but again i just keep going back to if you watch the trailer and you're like this looks interesting it is 100 percent worth the time to watch do you have anything else you want to say about the overall yeah, I had like one or two more things. One of the things that I was thinking about, I guess one like major thing was the the stylization of the movie, I think is pretty cool. Um, overall, I, th- I, I like, like we said, the CG backgrounds, I think work okay. And the kind of high contrast coloring and everything like that is very interesting, black and white. Um, but I did not like the CGI cars. And there's a lot of CG cars in this movie, um thankfully it's not like a driving centered movie but they're in i think every single story there's a cgi car except for maybe like the the 
kind of the bookend stories of the movie that are really short kind of teasers. Other than that, I think that it has a car in every single sequence. And I just thought that they looked really bad. And I didn't know why they went with like a CG car because it feels like it's purely just a car that's been digitally made. And I would have much rather them have done like a high contrast rotoscope of a real car instead for those sequences. But I didn't know what you thought about it. If you thought that the CG worked for you or you would have preferred a different style for the cars or you would have just rewritten it without the cars or what you would have done with something like that. Um, the, the cars were interesting again, though. I think it's mostly, um, there to pay homage, right. Mm. To, because I don't, this movie, I didn't, we'll talk later about the budget, but I think the movie would have had a budget to even just film legitimate car scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, um, that like classic recognizable CGI car or like affected green screen car shot is so part of old grindhouse films. And like you see also in like Kill Bill, I think there's that scene with Uma Thurman driving crazily. Mm -hmm. I think that's also um, paying homage, excuse me, paying homage to the like kind of old style of movie. Um, But it didn't, uh, it didn't bother me that much. Hmm. All right. All right. Well, I'm excited to get into talking about the rest of the meat of this movie because there's yeah. uh, there's a lot of good stuff on there. Um, do we? I don't have a list of like the cast of each of the the sections, um, but we talked about it before. There's kind of four sections, and two of them are broken up in half. So there's the like genre opener of the customer is always right um, that also closes it. And it's just like a really short sequence. Actually, that sequence that was the opening was made um, as a proof of concept to show Frank Miller that it was possible to adapt his work faithfully to the screen. Um, So Robert Rodriguez filmed that before he did the rest of the movie at all and then just stuck it in as the beginning tag, which I think works pretty well for the movie. It kind of sets it up, but it is really disconnected from the rest of it. So there's that. The customer's always right. I don't even really know that there's too much even to talk about with that one. It definitely does kind of set the tone, right? I mean, yeah. it's it's essentially like the stereotypical film noir opening of yeah. a rainy city, uh, like a, a dame who's like, oh, no, I'm on the run. And then you think the guy's going to be our hero. Or like a, you know, gonna help her, um, and then he ends up killing her. And a couple things that I think right away it tells us, um, we're not gonna find out much about these characters. Like, n- no character really in this movie are we ever told a backstory, right? Characters for the most part are like. Uh, just characteristics they show up they have characteristics they play their part and they like die or walk off stage or like whatever Mm -hmm. um we don't know uh so the 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 quote-unquote salesman the character's name this assassin we don't know what he is really like we assume he's some sort of assassin for hire but like what's his deal is he just out there for money like 
he's just an assassin for hire. And then he shoots someone and walks and like, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's true for, I think the rest of this movie is nobody really has much of a journey they go on. I would say, except for, um, uh, let me look at the notes here. I think it's in the big fat kill. Um, who is, is it the Shelly one with the Jackie boy? Yeah. Um, Dwight, right? Yeah. He, he kind of like, again, fairly, fairly one note, but he kind of like has a little bit of a growth growing moment. Um, but so anyway, all that to say, we, we kind of immediately are like set up with the idea of what this movie is going to be about. And also, um, heavy use of, um, I, what's the word, uh, audio like overlay what am i thinking what you know what i'm talking about voiceover yeah voiceover heavy use yeah. of voiceover um which <laughs> all like of these overlay. all of these stories are quote-unquote protagonist is sort of doing a voiceover the whole time mm-hmm. um which fits in with the comic book theme because in comic books you often have the like thought bubble equivalent uh <clears throat> of like the person kind of telling the story yeah which so, a lot of movies um <laughs> like famously do not use the modern superhero movies. They get away from those. Um, That's why in like the new Spider-Man movies, they had the suit that Spider-Man talks to, to kind of evoke the idea of the thought bubble. And I think that like, there's a thought that consumers are going to be turned off by it unless it's in a noir movie. But I think that if it's done right and set up well, it can be good. It's just, it comes off as cheap if that's how you do all the character development is with voiceover. Um, but for like jokes and stuff, I think that you could probably do it. It's just, we're not used to seeing it in a, a superhero movie. Um, but I don't ever, I don't ever mind it in a movie unless it is being used to undercut the visual storytelling. Like in Blade Runner, I think that it, it really doesn't work well at all. Um, that's why I prefer the other versions that don't have it, but in something like this or like a, an old noir movie, where they're like, oh, it's clearly a set, but you're wanting to embellish more about the world and stuff like that than what the budget has. I think I like it in those sorts of scenarios. I don't um, usually like it. Um, I think it's hard because unless there is some sort of, um, unless it's like extremely jokey, and even then I'm not a huge fan of it, uh, it's hard to like, explain what it is most times mm-hmm. like it's not a it's voiceovers are never like the internal dialogue a person has because mm-hmm. the voiceover is always coming from the perspective of the storyteller and um the storyteller already knows the whole story and it's at the end of the story telling the story from the beginning and um it it removes like a lot of stakes. If you know that the person is at the end of the story, like recounting the story to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it often is like really jarring to be like, Oh, well this, the, the voiceover is just telling us like, obviously th- there needs to be some sort of like explanation as to why the voiceover is there mm-hmm. for me. 
Um, but in this, in film noirs, it's so part of the genre that it's it would be weird if it wasn't there. Mm. And like it's easy to forgive. Yeah, I think this movie, because there's no character growth, it would be really difficult to tell a story without hearing um without hearing the uh that voiceover. <clears throat> and now that I'm thinking about it, this voiceover almost seems more um more like the internal thought mm-hmm. of what's going on. Less like a storyteller at the end telling you what's happening and more yeah. like just you're hearing their internal thoughts, like legitimately thought bubble. So all that to say, I didn't mind it in this, but I usually do not like voiceovers. Nice. Nice. Um, okay. Let's talk about the yellow bastard part one. So this is the first like real story that we get to. Mm-hmm. And also we are introduced to Bruce Willis. This story is not very long. So the middle section is definitely the meat of the story. I would say the middle mm-hmm. two stories and this section, this yellow bastard part one is maybe 10 minutes. I don't know. Oh, yeah. And I was like, wait, is that all of the Bruce Willis we're going to get? And I was like, I s- swear there was more. <laughs> and then at the end, it like bookmark or comes back around and bookends again. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's right. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was watching it with my wife and she was like, is this all the Bruce Willis? And I was like, I, know. Well, I haven't seen it before, but I don't think so. Yeah. We can talk a little about Bruce Willis a little bit more when we get to the second part of the Yellow Bastard story. Mm-hmm. But um, his character does not seem like a, a typical Bruce Willis character. And I think it's we haven't gotten to Bruce Willis can only play the badass yet um, because he's definitely uh, not like an unstoppable badass in this. Oh, no, no, distinctly not. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we'll come back to the yellow bastard, but the next one up is the hard goodbye which is the one that took me the longest to like, but then became my favorite as I was watching it. Nice. So this is the one. Um, what's the cast in this one? So Mickey Rourke, <laughs> Mickey Rourke, and then um, Elijah Wood. And yeah. oh, my God. Who else? Who plays the Dame Bell or uh... Goldie? Is that who you're talking yeah, about? Goldie, Goldie, Goldie. Yeah. Um, Jamie King. <clears throat> so, so, so this is an this is an example of um, the stylized art style that we talked about. Elijah Wood is shown with glasses, but his glasses are just like pure white. Like it's nighttime, and his glasses are just white circles, and he looks terrifying. Oh yeah. Uh, and I was like, wait, is that Elijah Wood? And as it goes on, you're like, oh yeah, that is. But he <laughs> is a terrifying psychopath in this story. Yeah, little shit is what I like to call him. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, pretty terrifying. The yeah. ending of this one was also really unsettling, where Mickey Rourke like slowly dismembers Elijah Wood, but he still keeps <laughs> smiling. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. This movie is fucking twisted. Um. Yeah, but I I really liked the um I I thought that the kind of greediness in this one was a little bit more um 
more tolerable for me because the main character is just losing his mind the whole time and it's it's very much set up like a an untrustworthy narrator sort of a situation so you as the viewer are actively engaged in trying to figure out what the fuck is going on and i thought that that was a really interesting direction to take for the movie because the other ones it's like well, I live in Sin City and things suck. And then they get like whacked in the face. Like, that's just how it is on a Friday night. And I'm like, well, OK, I'm, I'm no I know what's happening, but I'm not learning anything. I'm not I'm not engaged as much. But that Mickey Rourke section was just like so, so fun to kind of try to stay ahead of what whatever the movie was trying to do. Um, so I, I, I liked that that whole segment a lot. Um, but it is probably the most exploitative of the segments there's a lot of nudity in his segment and it um it's it's just very very dark and violent the the elijah wood character is like a cannibal and like there's another character who's also a cannibal and you're just like are there really this many cannibals in the world where there'd be like two very powerful cannibals that are friends with each other did they have like a cannibal meetup how did this all happen I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so um, we should say that uh, a little bit of the connective tissue is, I think, isn't um, um, the Elijah Wood, like the cannibals are connected to like this big... Um, the senator. Yeah, the, the senator who's son. the dad of the yellow bastard from the first... Yeah from the from the previous section right so there is a little bit of connected tissue but not any sort of like oh it all fits together at the end it's mainly just like you recognize some names over and over again yeah um which i was kind of bummed about because i'm like if you're gonna adapt a movie into a visual medium we kind of like it when the visual medium at the end has some sort of big payoff and this movie has basically no payoff (laughs) it it really ends on a womp womp of a note when they could have twisted a little bit of the storylines and had them interact a little bit more. I thought, I mean, there is a scene at one, one of the final chapters where they go into a bar and like everybody you've seen so far is just kind of like in the bar at the same time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, but yeah, there's not a lot of other interesting stuff. Um, but yeah. So when we talk about how like explicit and explicit and uh, exploitative and violent, this movie is the previous chapter had, uh, the saving of a 11 year old from potentially being raped and murdered. And this chapter has a guy killing prostitutes, eating them for their souls and then hanging their heads on a wall. Oh, right. Uh, so when I say this movie is intense and not for everybody, I was not kidding. This movie is pretty wild. And I, I think the graphic novel animation nature helps because if this movie were any more realistic like i could not have finished it but the fact that it's like basically a cartoon for a lot of it especially when the dismembering scenes are very like stylized and and um shell shaded and more more cgi than not um it it helped it helped that but um i loved mickey rook's character i thought uh He's basically kind of like a um, Incredible Hulk type, just behemoth who 
just takes punishment the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's sort of uh, sort of like an unstoppable muscle man. I really liked I really liked his character. And at the end, when he finally gets caught and sentenced to death, and they execute him, uh, and his head is like melting with blood, like that was pretty gross. But... Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then I was also like when I was watching it going, wait, there's a sequel to this movie. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. But I have not seen the sequel. I'm, I don't know if it's in the same style of just like a bunch of disconnected stories or not. Um, most everybody in this movie dies. Mm-hmm. We do find that there's like a couple of sort of like mafia families that we'll talk about starting in the, really in the next story here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess we can just move, yeah, move on unless you had any, Nah, no, 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 anything no. else about the hard goodbye? So the big fat kill, I think, was my favorite. Okay, nice. And um, it has sort of a woman who's being abused by her boyfriend or ex boyfriend, Jackie Boy, played by Benicio del Toro. Love him, and I thought he was a great villain. I've never seen him in a movie and been like, "Oh, he's bad." <laughs> like, yeah, he's always just amazing. He just like dripped, just this like terribleness. Um. And uh, basically, we find out through this that there's like a um, uh, like a, a, a group of prostitutes who kind of like control half the city. Um, and this is kind of where I think, and I'm definitely not like an expert on this or anything, but this is probably the closest this movie gets to any sort of like dialogue around exploitation movies is mm-hmm. by... Um, there are very few, if any, I can't even really think of any off the top of my head, of like damsels in distress. Like all the female characters are killing and or being killed at mostly the same rate as the male characters. Yeah, um, except for kind of the Shelly character at the beginning of the the big fat kill the who has the abusive ex-boyfriend, Jackie Boy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but But there's basically like a prostitute army and um they kind of control the city and they have like an agreement with the cops and that's what keeps the mafia out and throughout this story we kind of learn that there's been kind of a setup being take taken place to sort of um set the prostitutes up for um to, to have the cops roll in and then once the, the cops roll in the mafia can kind of take over and so there's kind of like this multi-layered story about cops and then this mafia gang and then clive owen is trying to save the day um but they go they kill benicio del toro and then they take his body uh which the whole that shootout was pretty fun with the way benicio del toro dies Mm -hmm. um he's like shooting people and i don't remember who was it someone threw a knife in it at his gun right yeah and it blocks the the barrel and then Clive Owen is like, don't shoot. She clogged your barrel or whatever, which was like one of the more awkward dialogues. Cause I was like, why are you, t- why are you, you, you're trying to kill this man. Like, why are you trying to stop? Anyway, so he shoots and his gun explodes, but it just like shoots right back into his own head. And just like for the rest of this chapter is just lodged in his head. Is there like moving, carrying its body around? Mm-hmm. Um, that was a pretty like wild moment. Um, yeah that i enjoyed yeah and i thought the car chases in this uh chapter were fun um the trip to the tar pit throwback to breakfast of champions when there was a a tar pit (laughs) 
so glad that we got to watch that movie so that we could use it for this reference and then mm-hmm. never reference again for the rest mm-hmm. of the exactly podcast. exactly uh yeah, I I just thought this this all the like shootouts and um yeah, fights in this in this chapter were especially great. Yeah. I I tell you what, my favorite part of this chapter is when they are transporting the bodies to the tar pit and then the main character Dwight is losing his mind and then he ends up having a conversation with the the very very dead Jackie boy next to him. And it's this demented conversation where like Jackie boy kind of knows that he's dead, but talking to him because it's like the pills talking or whatever. That part I loved. And then that's when I looked up later that Quentin Tarantino was the director of that segment. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he did it as a favor for Robert Rodriguez. And he uh, was not a big fan of shooting on a green screen. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Um, but yeah, that segment's so fun and it definitely has that like Quentin Tarantino, very snappy sort of feeling. And it was like a breath of fresh air. And then the rest of that is just very dour and plods along by comparison. So I think that the brightness of that one moment may have even hurt the rest of it because mm. it elevates it to this crazy level. And then the rest of it cannot ever come up and match it again. They, they went one, two, three, four, five. 10 and then six, eight, seven, nine. Like it just never gets back up to that level again. Yep. Uh, and throughout, throughout this story, we find out that one of the girls had double crossed, um, the rest. And she comes, she comes back into play later, but she essentially, um, was kind of selling out, um, the rest of them for, uh, to the cops, I think, right, or the mo- to the mafia. She was selling them out to the mafia. She was betraying something or other, something, something story, getting out of this lifestyle. Something, something. My mom. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Film noir. <laughs> details, details, details. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, and then we'll move on to the Yellow Bastard Part Two. So, um, this connects back up to the first section of the Yellow Bastard. I guess we. we a quick summary of the El Bastard. Bruce Willis is a cop and he's trying to save this 11 year old girl from this guy named Rourke Jr. And as he's trying to save her, he gets double crossed by his partner um, and then framed sort of for what happens. Um, even though nothing happens to her, they, they frame the Bruce Willis's detective character, which I did not understand at all. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't totally sure either, especially because I, she was like, I told them what happened. I told them that, like, you saved me and I didn't even get uh, I was just kidnapped. She's like, I wasn't raped. I wasn't you know, I didn't get killed. Like, I don't know why they have you locked up. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I was I was confused there. But but essentially, there's like a senator who's kind of controlling, pulling the reins. So anyway, she writes letters to Bruce Willis and he's put in jail, but he's not, he's not, he's not given a trial. No, he is given a trial because the judge is like, but it's like a really small, like trial that's not in front of like a jury, but, but yeah, he's sentenced. This is the Uh, part of the movie that worked the least for me because I was like, I feel like if you know anything above like a sixth grade level of local government you would be able to write a better story 
um, and make yeah. it make more sense than this does. <laughs> Basically, the TLDR is Bruce Willis is wrongfully imprisoned for a long time. Yeah. And it's only able to get out when he confesses to the crime. That's what confused me was yeah. <laughs> he was like, he was like, I didn't do it. And they put him in solitary. And then um, the, the little girl that he saved writes him a letter every week. And it's like this. <laughs> this movie is like, you know, it's very, very bad is um, sexual assault and rape. You know, it's even worse is lying about that. But if you tell the truth, we'll let you out. Like, yeah. So after like, eight years fuck? pass or whatever, um, he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to lie and just say I did it. And then he does. I'm like, cool. All right. Time served. See you later. <laughs> um, and I was like, wait, what? And uh, so it's very confusing. But he gets out and essentially tries to track down that girl. Um, but what he doesn't know is the Rourke Jr., the one who had kidnapped her in the first place um, had finagled it to get him out, knowing that he would go try to find her. And uh, which is like 60 million strings to have been pulled in order to make. Also, that girl was 11. Did she not have a family? Did her family not be like, let's move or change your name? I don't know. So he um, finds her. <laughs> uh, she's grown up. She's played she, the grown up version of her is played by Jessica Alba. And uh-huh. this is the part I remembered, because if you look at any of the marketing material, you see Jessica Alba. She's dancing in a bar. Um, this scene is fairly well known. And this is the scene that goes all color. Right. I believe this is the scene where he finds her working in a bar and he walks mm-hmm. into the bar and everything in there is color. And here's where um, the only sort of crossover episode um, we have is because Mickey Rourke is sitting at the bar. And then I think Clive Owen is also somewhere in the bar. That sounds Um, right. And you see some of the other girls that that have been were in the gang earlier um, around, but they don't they don't really talk, interact. And. um, So Bruce Willis is like goes over to her and she's like, I've been waiting for you my whole life. Cause I was, I've been in love with you. And this, I was like, Ooh, what? No, thank you. Um, and then they realized that it was all a, a ploy and the yellow man, this like gross yellow hobgoblin, um, which the description in Wikipedia says that he has been like having a lot of surgeries in the meantime. Um, Yeah, and in the movie, Bruce Willis shoots off his dick, and then he's like, well, I got surgeries to get everything reconstructed, but they left me with some crazy side effects, and I'm just, like, imagining what sort That's of right. surgeries happen. At the, the first <laughs> chapter, he shoots off his dick, and then apparently, after eight years have passed, they managed to reconstruct it, but then also turning him into a stinking yellow hobgoblin. <laughs> um and another car chase ensues there's a shootout um they think they kill Rourke Jr but they manage to make it back to a hotel and then uh he sneaks up on them and kidnaps her again and they they almost have sex too oh yeah like yeah they're and then he's like Jesus I'm old enough to be your grandfather and I was like thank god yes I'm like like, finally yes (laughs) uh you are please stop please Um, for the love of god (laughs) And this, I remember this scene pretty viscerally is when, um, after the Jessica Alba's character gets kidnapped, um, they hang Bruce Willis Mm -hmm. and he manages to like swing back and forth, 
um, and use like broken glass to free himself. I think, right? Mm-hmm. Is that how that happens? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, Makes as much sense watching it as it does hearing us explain. It. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then he, you know, goes and saves the girl and kills the bad guy, and it, it ends. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. It, I don't. Now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, how, wait, how does it end? Doesn't he just like save the day? He saves the day, and then he's like. They'd never stop looking for me and you, so I gotta end it. And then he kills himself. Oh yes, That's he like right. shoots himself with a revolver. And the um, senator is played by the senator's son or the senator, the senator himself. Because because there's like a scene where he's the senator is like Powers Booth. Um, mm. He has like a very recognizable voice. Um. The senator is like, you'll never stop me or my son or whatever. And then Bruce Willis is like, I will if I kill myself. Yep. And then it ends. Yep. Um, the senator's son is played by Nick Stahl, who I know from Terminator 3. And he does a better job on this movie than he does in Terminator 3. Wow. So, yeah. Are you, are you otherwise a big Terminator 3 fan? I think that Terminator 3 had a lot to live up to. And it did succeed at being the fifth best Terminator movie. <laughs> so, Sorry, it succeeded at what? It succeeded at being the fifth best Terminator movie. Oh, okay. Or maybe, is it the sixth? No, 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 it's not the sixth. It might be the fourth. I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those two. Because one and two are number one and two. And then depending on who you ask, um, Genesis is going to be the bottom or Dark Fate's the bottom. If they're stupid. Dark Fate's the one with um, Christian Bale? No, that's Salvation. Oh. Salvation's the one with Christian Bale. And I actually like Salvation. That's the That one I have not seen. It is directed pretty badly by McGee, but I, I don't know. I, it's got some interesting ideas, and it's got a great performance by um, Anton Yelkin in it, um, playing young Kyle Reese. But yeah, T3 is not so good, um, and Nick Stahl is fine in that movie. I do like Arnold in that one, though. Well, all right. When we start up our Terminator, uh, Terminal Terminator podcast, where we cover the movie The Terminal and also all Terminator movies. <laughs> we like go through every single Terminator movie and then we find as many things linking it to The Terminal. Mm-hmm. And so we yeah. each each podcast episode will watch a Terminator movie and The Terminal again. Yeah. So yeah. we'll have watched The Terminal right. six times by the end of it. Yep. We have to have a Terminal connection. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, finally, the final chapter, The Customer's Always Right Part 2, about as long as the first <laughs> part of this. The Marvel the Marvel end credits scene of it all. Yes, this would definitely be an, this would definitely be an end credit scene if if uh, those existed yeah. when this movie came out. The gal who we talked about who was like double crossing the people in the Big Fat Kill chapter um, is like in an elevator. And we see the salesman, Josh Hartnett's character, walk in the elevator. And then he like says her name and then it ends. Yeah, that was the weirdest part of the movie for me is that end like before she gets in the elevator, it shows her like walking through a hospital. And the rest of this movie, it's been like I went down to the bar and then it's like the seediest looking bar. I went into this hotel. It's the seediest looking hotel. And she's like. I'm at the hospital and it's just a regular ass looking hospital in black and white. And I was like, what? 
Sin City's got decent hospitals. Right on, right on. <laughs> they, they have a lot of people who get hurt in Sin City. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or base in City. Maybe the mafia but, is like funding the hospitals exclusively because they're like, we yeah. got guys in here all the time. We got to yeah, get exactly. this right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um. Presumably, the salesman was hired to kill her. I was kind of wondering if like <laughs> he was like, I'm here to hire you because we only hire double crossers or like, I don't know. <laughs> there could have been like an interest, but I'm pretty sure this movie is very like what we say is what we are. Oh yeah. So yeah, no, 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 no. This movie does not. I don't think that there's any point in this movie that is trying to be more than what it is nope. on screen. Yeah. Nope. It's all text. There is no subtext. Oh yes. Yep. 1000%. <clears throat> anything else you want to say about bruce willis in particular like i said it, it was an interesting because with uh this being a film noir and definitely like an action heavy movie i kind of expected him to be more of like the clive owen character where he's shooting and killing and like fighting and he ends up he even though you know this is what 20 17 years ago or something like that mm-hmm. um <clears throat> he's playing like an old man almost he, um, oh yeah even before even before he goes to jail i think he's got like some health issues mm-hmm. so it was an interesting character for him to play but i thought he did a great job and was interesting but yeah no i thought bruce willis did a, a good job with what he was given um he doesn't do i didn't get the sense that he really was working to elevate the film like hostage he's putting on this great performance in a movie that doesn't deserve it in this movie he is giving the performance that the movie deserves and doesn't seem to be doing excess above that i didn't i didn't catch that when i was watching it did you no and this movie is fairly star-studded um mm-hmm. but he still is pretty top bill oh yeah um so i think he was the one of the big draws that this movie had um yeah. <clears throat> but yeah every chapter has like a recognizable cast um the movie just almost every time someone walks on screen you'll recognize them from something so you can tell that like this movie is utilizing like it's ensemble um but yeah i thought bruce he did great was a standout yep yep agreed i guess like one of the two trivia things that i wanted to talk about um before we got into like some of the box office numbers and stuff interesting thing is that Elijah Wood and Mickey Rourke are enemies throughout that whole segment. The, the long, the, the hard goodbye, the hard goodbye. Mm-hmm. And they didn't meet each other when they were filming this movie. Cause they were filmed at such different times. So they met each other at the premiere of this movie, which is hilarious to me. And then other interesting thing is that Robert Rodriguez dropped out of the director's guild in order to make sure that Frank Miller could get credit in the movie as the co-director. Um, the From uh, the IMDb trivia section, it says the director's guild of America would not allow it. And then Robert Rodriguez resigned saying it was easier for me to quietly resign before shooting. Otherwise I'd be forced to make compromises. I was unwilling to make or set a precedent that might hurt the guild later on. So because he, asked Frank Miller to direct the movie with him and Frank Miller was there shooting a lot of the stuff. He wanted him to be co-director. And then uh, basically the guild was like, no, that's against the rules for whatever reason. And then because Rodriguez resigned, he also had to back out of the director's seat on John Carter, 
which he was set to make. And it was going to be made for Paramount Pictures at that time. That movie got shuffled around to a bunch of different production companies, a bunch of different directors, but he dropped out of it at that point. So yeah, that's uh, two things that I found to be of interest from the trivia. That's interesting. The um, <clears throat> the comment about uh, Mickey Rourke and Elijah Wood really goes to show how much of that was all green screen and CGI. Oh yeah, yeah. They filmed a lot of the movie with um, like uh, stand-ins, so just have whatever assistant, like marshmallow getter or whatever the fuck like role stand-in for Mickey Rourke there and then elijah wood delivers his lines to him and then thank you elijah wood see you later six months later you get mickey rourke in there all right this popsicle stick is elijah wood talk to him so i think that that kind of explains why some of the performances feel a little bit stilted against each other Mm -hmm. but it also goes to show how great some of the performers are like benicio del toro and mickey rourke in that they're able to sell everything that they're doing and you totally believe it so yeah yeah Yep. Let's move on to talk about box office. Sounds good. So this movie did not have that big of a budget, which I found to be very interesting. Wow. Really? Interesting. Yeah. 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 You see all these like actors and stuff in it and you're like, okay, this is probably going to be a big budget, but no, not really. It had a $40 million budget. Oh, wow. Which is the same as the whole nine yards. And if you're looking at movies that were released even just five years earlier, you had Hearts War for 70 million, Bandits for 75, Unbreakable for 75, and The Kid for 65 million. So this movie is more in the range of the whole 10 yards, the whole nine yards, um, The Sixth Sense, which was a very small movie for Bruce Willis to be in at the time. But yeah, it ended up going on to make $158 million at the box office, 158.7. So it had a pretty decent return, almost four times return versus investment um, before marketing. And it had a Rotten Tomato score of 77%. So the critics were thumbs up in it, and the audience was there for it. Hmm. I <clears throat> wonder, we've talked a bit about how wildly expensive movies were in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if this is partly due to the change in that, like our movies be getting cheaper because people are just take taking less of a cut and movies are getting cheaper to make in general. Or is this another situation where a whole bunch of these people were wanted to make this project and didn't take their normal um, big paycheck from it? The normal asking price? Yeah. Well, and you also have to factor in that you had basically no sets to build and no locations to find. So you can cut out the location scouting, the pain for the actual locations, the large crews, the large cast of background actors for some sequences. Like you can really get away from a lot of those elements if you shoot the movie like you did. And I seem to remember reading that Robert Rodriguez was actually the, the camera op and the editor as well as the director So he's really heavily involved in every single sequence of the movie instead of having a big, a big crew. So I think that they probably cut down a lot of the, the um, costs there. And then also if you're filming everybody's stuff at different times, it's a lot harder to be like, Hey, Bruce Willis, will you take like only $4 million instead of your like 20 million or whatever for a movie? 
um, it's a lot harder to do that if you're getting them commit to commit to like a regular movie shooting schedule. But if you're like, hey, Bruce Willis, we're just going to film you against a green screen with some stand ins. It's going to take you three days. Do you want to do that? As we could see, that's kind of the direction that a lot of films ended up going anyways for these action sort of films and stuff like that. And Bruce Willis at the time was obviously interested in doing that. Um, not because I think he's trying to make cheap art, but probably because it worked. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting how much of a um, a precursor to the way that action movies ended up going um, that this movie ended up being so early on. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Where would you put this movie in your Willis ranking? So... You remember talking about how unfallible our ranking system is? Um, our rating system? Our rating yeah. system. Yeah. So our rating system is infallible. I rated a hostage um, hostage a Bruce W, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. I'm going to rate this. Mo- so I rated this movie a Bruce no space. And I'm going to put this movie above hostage. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I'm putting this movie at number 13, um, above Hostage. Hostage is now my new 14, and right below The Fifth Element at number 12. So, so 13. <clears throat> this really goes back, this goes to show the difference between a rating and a ranking. Mm-hmm. Because I use the rating to show whether or not I think people should watch it. Mm-hmm. And I use the ranking to show whether how much I liked it. Yeah good distinction anyway all that to say uh for me it was going to be number it's going to be number 18 okay so even though i i rated it higher i ranked it lower (laughs) an infallible rating system yep yep say again what what was your what did you end up putting it as uh 13 13 yeah number 13. 13 right above north or the siege i'm sorry uh right above sin city or sorry, right above the <laughs> right above hostage. Okay, okay. I was like, uh, <laughs> come again, Joshua. Um, put Sin City at thirteen, right above Sin City. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh. we could get to that point with the new Sin City if there's nothing that's going to go above this. But no, there's going to be stuff that's above this. So, yeah, yeah. I uh, don't think Bruce Willis is in the new Sin City. So, or the no, second, he is the sequel. He is. Wait, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he is. I think 2014. Yeah, Sin City, A Dame to Kill for a Hardigan, 2014. Huh, interesting. Yep. yep, there's also other people in that movie that will surprise you, namely Mickey Rourke as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, so... yeah. Oh, Josh Brolin's in it? Fuck, yeah. I like Josh yeah. Brolin. And Josh and Gordon-Levitt. Oh, what? Rosario Dawson, Eva Green. Christopher Lloyd's in it. Oh, my God. All right. Well, this movie might suck, but I am excited for it. It's definitely less regarded. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it made nearly as much money and did not get as good a rating. Hey, I mean, but... how many times can you do the same trick <laughs> before people yeah. get tired? Of That's it? this is nine years later. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, apparently, um, Robert Rodriguez wanted to adapt all the Sin City novels to video. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Don't think that's going to happen because the second movie, we'll get to it, but I don't think it made that much money. And I don't think the critics were overly fond of it either. So 
it's yeah. going to be interesting to note how different it is because it might be like the same sort of movie. It's just the landscape had changed so much in that nine years that yeah, just didn't yeah. do as well. But yeah, that'll be interesting. It looks like there are original stories written for the for a name to kill for hmm. <clears throat> by Miller. It's fascinating. It may take us nine years to get there. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. All right. Well, let's do our Star Trek connection. Space, the final frontier. Um, there's nothing really exciting, unfortunately, for this. Oh, bummer. But Benicio Del Toro was in uh, The Last Jedi. Uh-huh. Yep. It's our Star Wars connection, right? Mm-hmm. And they they watched Star Wars in Star Trek, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh Anyway, sorry, you feel it. <laughs> John Debney um, worked in the sound department for both Star Trek Next Generation and this movie. Jeremy Fitzgerald was a crew member uh, on the set, not a crew member on the show. Uh, <laughs> Wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> You're blowing my mind right now. <laughs> Yeah, no, he worked on stunts. Um, okay, he was on the stunts team for Sin City and in a Star Trek. <laughs> he but... was on the stunts team. He worked in the holiday as a crew <laughs> <Yeah>. member. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny because at first it just said crew, and I was like, "Wait, that could mean wait Riker's crew." Like, what? <laughs> a couple things for Star Trek. Go on. <laughs> Um, in this guy for Captain America, the first adventure, he is listed as utility stunts. Mm. I do. I do remember that they had to have a guy jump over a hard hat at one point. So. Oh, and plunge a toilet. Yeah. Acrobatically. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So those are our Star Trek connections for this movie. Nice. Really exciting. Nice. Do you want to know what is really exciting though? Uh, tell me, Josh, what? So I got a, I got a, I got a, I got a note where people were asking if there's any way that we can make this any less exciting because it's the favorite part of every single person's episode. Oh, yeah, every single person's favorite part of the episode. Sick brain is coming, coming on strong. Um, <laughs> the lead-in is is rough. Uh, you know. <laughs> We should do a, um, if people donate for every donation to this podcast we get, we will make it more, less, more exciting, more, less exciting. What am I trying to say? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we'll get to, we'll get to it quicklier. Yeah. 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 If you don't like banter leading up to this moment of the podcast, you can donate. By going to <laughs> anchor.fm slash Willis dash way. Hey, there we go. There we go. And what way are we, Josh? The uh, wheel of Willis way. The wheel of Willis way. Right. I forgot that we practiced that we were going to say that at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm, you know, sick brain, sick brain. I'm not drunk, I swear. Yeah, no, I know. Same. I, I almost thought about it. I was like, should I take a little something before? No, no, I'm glad I should didn't. I take a, this whole thing of uh, PM cough medicine. No, <laughs> no, I shouldn't. Oh, man. 
Um, but what do we say every time we take a whole thing of PM cough medicine? Every time we take a whole thing of PM cough medicine and then hop on a mic, we, we say, say whisk that wheel. All right. Oh, that, that was the official sound effect. <laughs> Perfect. Now I don't have to put in a sound effect. I can just use that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, what is this Bruce Willis character's favorite movie? And that was submitted by Hannah C. I believe that is my youngest sibling. I didn't write down which Hannah submitted that though, because my wife also has the same first name, last mm. initial. <laughs> mm. uh, <clears throat> this Bruce Willis's favorite movie is Sin City, A Dame to Die For or A Dame mm. to Kill For. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know that movies exist in this world, but we're going to guess that they do. And I'm going to guess that after a a rough night out on the streets, he would like to sit down and watch Paddington 2. So I'm going to say Paddington 2 is his favorite movie. Oh, I was thinking, um, I think the only movies they show in Sin City, in Basin City, excuse me, are probably... um, Film noir, right? Because they don't have color, so they have to watch like old black and white movies. Um, so I'm going to say like the third man to go real film school on you. Mm. Paddington 2 in black and white would be cool. Or it could be Mad Max Fury Road, the Blood and Chrome edition. Oh, that's great. Man, now I just want to watch that. I haven't seen yeah. the Blood and Chrome edition. <clears throat> is that one on HBO Max or is that not on HBO Max? Good question. I'm not sure if I, I would hope, I hope uh, to see it in the theater. I would love to see the blood and chrome edition in the theater. Oh, that'd, that'd be, be great. great. That'd be so yeah. fun. Maybe the Hollywood theater is going to show it at some point. Cause they like to show artsy fartsy things every once in a yeah. while. Yep. And that's fartsy less so on the artsy side, but it is the, the artsier of farts. Mm-hmm. So full fart though. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely if you guys want to go ahead and tell other people about how great our podcast is you can review us on apple podcast or on spotify and it is totally possible on spotify and i will not hear any protestations otherwise Mm -hmm. thank you as always for listening to where there's a willis there's a way you can follow us at willis way pod on twitter or tiktok or instagram you can email us at williswaypod at gmail.com. And then you can find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are found. And if, yeah, you can send us an email if you have any suggestions for our uh, Wheel of Willis. That's how most of our suggestions came in, was from an email. So if you have any suggestions, shoot them over via an email. If you want to find me on the internet, uh, I've kind of left Twitter. I've uninstalled it from my phone. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Um, I've moved over to Mastodon, which we can talk about later. But uh, <laughs> my Mastodon link is kmartinix. That's K-M-A-R-T-I-N-I-X at hackyderm.io. Or you can head on over to my website, kmartinix.com. I've been getting into blogging again. And also, I have a newsletter over there that I've been working on. Um, so sending out some some various thoughts and feelings over there uh yep 
Josh, how about you? Where can people find you on the internet? Um, you can find me for the next few weeks until Elon decides to uh, push the button that makes Twitter die faster over at <laughs> Twitter. The any key. Yeah, exactly. At Joshing Carter. And every single episode, we like to end out with a tasty treat or a sweet treat, depending on which week it is. <laughs> I, wait, wait, Kendrick, did you see that in the same sentence or in the same paragraph, we call it one thing once and then the other thing <laughs> another time? No wonder we're that... getting so fucked up. We're calling it two different things in the same goddamn piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, we never know whether it's a tasty treat or a sweet treat. And apparently we've we, we are hoisted on our own petard here. <laughs> My petard is thoroughly hoisted. I tell you that much. Um, so my uh, my sweet treat. I have one that I wanted to throw out there, but then I was thinking about better film noir movies made around this time, um, and I wanted to recommend one that was made a few years earlier, but still great. And that is L.A. Confidential. It's starring the um, unfortunately. Um, one of the main characters is played by everyone's least favorite creep, um, Kevin Spacey. But it also has uh, Russell Crowe in it, Guy Pierce, Kim Bassinger, James Cromwell, Danny DeVito, and David Stratham, which Strathern, which I like all of those people quite a bit. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a great movie. <laughs> it's uh, well directed and well shot and everything and. Um, yeah, that would be my recommendation. If you're interested in kind of a newer film noir, it takes place in the 1950s. So it has a lot of the film noir aesthetics, but it kind of ditches some of the film noir sorts of storytelling motifs and everything like that. And I liked it. So really confidential. That's a great suggestion. I have two sweet Ooh. and tasty treats. Ooh, <clears throat> one of each. What's your sweet treat? Uh, my sweet treat is the show Sandman on Netflix. Nice. Sandman. About the making is, of the song. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's yeah. just a Metallica music video. Um, <laughs> you know, Metallica, notorious, difficult for getting streaming rights. Yeah. Um, no. This we'll we'll is, play some of it. And thank you, Napster. <laughs> yeah. This uh, is a show on Netflix that is based upon the graphic novel Sandman from the uh, 80s and 90s. This graphic novel is one of my favorite graphic novels, probably one of my favorite books, really, in general. Great story. Um, and it has been, it is written by Neil Gaiman, and it has been um, attempted to put to the screen for a long time. Um, never successfully, though, until this past fall, Netflix was able to get it produced. And I was very nervous because it has... Um, such like a special spot in my heart. I was not looking forward in, forward to it being ruined yeah. by a Netflix show, but was pleasantly surprised. Um, it um, is basically telling the story of Dream, um, who is like one of um, several sort of like pseudo godlike beings. Dream sort of controls your dreams and. Hmm. That's where the term Sandman comes in is because he uses, he puts sand in your eyes as you sleep. Um, and he goes on adventures. He goes to hell. He meets Lucifer. 
He, um, his sis, one of the other, uh, of the endless is death and his sister is death. And so they go on, there's a whole episode where they just kind of go around and she talks about, um, like the meaning of life and like, why is life worth living? And, uh, super great, super poetic, super beautiful. Um, wonderful. The cast is wonderful. Um, Henry, Henry Thules, is that his name? Um, plays a guy in it and um nope i got that wrong let me look up his actual name david thules maybe his his name is he yeah david thules plays um this character named john d and is just like so terrifying and so creepy and there's a scene set in a diner where he continually like resets. It's like a time loop episode where he just continually resets time, and the diner just like slowly dissolves into madness. Uh, some great episodes. I'm really excited. It, I saw it got renewed. So um, even if you've never read the comic book, I recommend you go check it out. That's the Saiyan Man on Netflix. The other one I want to recommend is a graphic novel called Far Sector. Um, Far Sector is written by N.K. Jemison, who is like a well-known fiction author. She wrote um, the Broken Earth trilogy, which won several awards. Um, Far Sector, I believe, is her only graphic novel that she's written. It is set in the Green Lantern universe, which I did not realize when I picked it up, but it has no real connection to any other Green Lantern story. Mm-hmm. It follows a, um, a, a lantern, um, one of the Green Lanterns who goes out to this planet far, you know, far, far away um, to a, like a culture that hasn't had a murder in centuries and has a murder take place. Um, and um, just like all of N.K. Jemison's work, it like has a lot of different themes and evaluates like what it means, what, what the point of police are and um it's like a beautiful story. Really, like I said, no connection to Green Lantern other than the fact that they mentioned them. Like, I I have probably never read another Green Lantern story um, and really enjoyed it. So that's The Far Sector graphic novel by N.K. Jemison. Nice. You said Far Sector? Far Sector, yep. Nice. I like that. I wish that um, there was more Green Lantern, good Green Lantern media out there for movies um or tv that looked good to me um yeah because i i'm sure that there's somebody who's out there like there's a great green lantern cartoon that was made in 19 blah 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 blah, and it stars great people and it's amazing and everyone loves it but no one watched it and i'm like yeah exactly no one watched it wish that there was some good green lantern stuff out there so i think that that's a, a such a great idea so i will try to pick that up and then uh sandman has been on my list of stuff to watch so yeah thank you for those sweet and tasty treats mm-hmm. you are welcome yeah um next week or not next week next time we are going to be covering a movie i should say before we get to that movie um kendrick and i are probably going to be taking a break with the holidays coming up and stuff very busy time so we'll have the bonus episode to put out but we might be taking some time off until january but If you are interested in getting any updates, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, and we'll be sure to put out updates on those um, 
those for you guys. But next time we're going to be covering Alpha Dog. Wow, 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 wow. Alpha wow, Dog. Wow, wow, wow. Anyway. <laughs> do you think, do you have any predictions for Alpha Dog? Are you predicting that there's going to be any dog related themes in that movie? <laughs> I think this is going to be a spinoff of uh, Air Bud. Oh, yeah. It's about the old dog who's now an alpha uh-huh. dog. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 Uh, my prediction is that it's going to be a musical alternating between who let the dogs out and that bow, wow, wow, we do, oh, we do, <laughs> those two songs just back and back, back and forth the entire time. You know, also, um, alpha is a Greek letter, so maybe it's about a Greek dog. Oh, yeah. That could be true. That could be true. Yeah voiced by Bruce Willis yeah <laughs> and it's gonna be a regular dog most of the time and then it's gonna get hit by a Zeusless lightning bolt and then start talking we'll be like oh he's not just doing the barking sounds like he was uh, George Clooney in that South Park movie. <laughs> anyways that's a reference to our Rugrats episode go check that out <laughs> I've been Josh I'll see you later <laughs> bye Oh, yeah.